we are now gonna get into our series, Victory, Failure is Not Your Future. So get your notebooks and pens ready and prepare your hearts to your message from God this morning. happening at Restoration Church. Pastor Nate, thank you for letting me do this. Thanks for having me. We have, uh, my wife Jennifer and I have gotten to know the Gagneys uh, the last couple of years. They were serving as district youth directors for Northern New England, and uh, now Travis and Aaron are serving in that role, and so it's like all the families together today, at, le- at least uh, this, this uh, segment of our national family. Uh, as Nate said, I serve as the national youth director for the Assemblies of God, and it sounds like you guys know what's going on. About 100 churches in Northern New England uh, that we, that are, listen, The kingdom of God is bigger than the assemblies of God, but I sure love our little tribe. Like, I just love getting together with family, and uh, I feel like I'm with family today, so thank you for having me. We had a, Nate gave a great uh, recap of the weekend. We were with uh, 300 teenagers uh, up in Plymouth. (laughs) It's my first time in New England, actually. Uh, Was Well, I came as a child. Anybody get drug around the country by your parents on vacations and stuff when you're really little? So like like I told my parents I was coming here, my dad was like, oh, you were there, remember? I'm like, no, I I don't. Here's how he remembered it. He goes, don't you remember? We were, we went all, he said, we went all the way up to Nova Scotia, but then on the way back down, we went to, we went to Boston and we went to the Children's Museum there. And remember there was a big political rally outside the Children's Museum. I'm like, Vaguely familiar. I'm like, who was the who was doing the political rally? Walter Mondale. <laughs> Only some of you know who that is, because that's how long ago it was. He ran for president in 1984. <laughs> that's how long ago I was in New England. So beautiful country up here. My goodness, the sun came out. Although driving up to Plymouth for the conference on Thursday. I was getting like, it was very confusing. Uh, they picked me up at the airport. I'm like, wow, this is nice. The sun's shining. And you know, there's the, if you've ever been to the, the Manchester airport, there's the picture of the mountain range. I'm like, wow, beautiful. I hope we get to see that. And uh, there's the moose statue. I'm like, I hope I see a moose. And uh, I don't know, if, are there really moose around? Okay, still got my eyes peeled. Really wanted to get me a lobster roll. <laughs> like, let's do it. New England. And uh, then it started snowing. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I had to get my calendar out. I'm like, I thought, are we, is it April? Like, because I seem to have time traveled to winter, but it stopped. So, anyway, it is so good to be here. I love the topic. I love the topic. Pastor Andrew uh, from the Milton campus brought me up to speed on the victory, uh, victory series that we've been in, and so victory over sin, our topic for today. And so if you're watching online, welcome. Thank you for joining. I am not Pastor Nate, if you're just tuning in. Uh, so hello to Milton, hello to Plymouth, and of course here in Dover, worshiping the Lord together is just nothing like it. Worship team, you guys did a phenomenal job this weekend in, uh, up at the, the Revive Conference, and an amazing job today. We are certainly, certainly blessed uh, to, have, to have such an amazing team. You know, uh, the health of a church, to me, is always seen in those who come back to serve Like Josh, you were saying, you're like, I don't just go there. I'm involved because that's what happens. 
Like when Jesus changes your life, it's not enough to just go and listen to a message and say, oh, that check, got my spiritual milk for the week. That was nice. Now let's go back to work. Self-feeding happens when we start serving and when we find God's plan for our lives. And like, there's nothing I want more for the teenagers in the assemblies of God. As we mentioned, there's about 100 churches in the northern New England uh, district. We've got 66 districts spread across uh, 50 states and Puerto Rico. And uh, there's about 13,000 churches that, that make up our fellowship in this country. Um, if you wonder why it's important to send teenagers to a conference like yesterday, or why it's important to go to that leadership conference that's coming up at the Milton camp, if you wonder about that, I would say this. As, as a young person growing up serving God, I, I, didn't, I don't have a very dramatic testimony. I, I, don't, I don't remember a day when I didn't believe that Jesus was God's son, that he died on a cross to forgive my sins. And listen, there were plenty of days where I was convinced that my sins were too much and that I'd already cashed out my limit with Jesus. So I'm, not, I'm no saint up here. I'm just saying that from a very early age, I knew the truth, I accepted the truth. And honestly, if I were to choose to walk away from the truth, I'm not sure I could do that. Like, I, I can't explain it other than God did a work in my life. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit as a, as a nine-year-old at kids' camp. But if you wonder about, well, why is it important to get connected beyond just a Sunday morning experience, I would say this. The Christian life is great when you're together. Ultimately, the Christian life is all about your relationship with God, not your spouse's relationship with God, not your parents' relationship with God, not your pastor's relationship with God. It's about your relationship with God. And so in that sense, it's sort of this lone experience. But that's not all it is. My motto is we're better together. And when we're together, we reflect what heaven is going to be like. Jesus says the kingdom has come to earth. Uh, James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift comes from God. So when we see wonderful, amazing, beautiful things here on earth, we know that if they are good, that if they are pure, they come from heaven. It's a reflection of heaven when we come together. There's a time to be apart. There's a time to be in solitude. There's a time to be honest with just you alone with God. But we're better together. And we get the joy and the blessing of fellowship with one another here on earth. And so that's why uh, it's important to me that we have our, our conferences uh, on the district level. Uh, we have a national conference. It's going to be this summer in Orlando. And I know some of uh, you guys are planning on joining us there. Really excited about that. You know, some of you, God loves Orlando. We love going <laughs> I love going to Florida. And Nate, it's so funny. You said it'll be better than a day at Disney with your kids. Listen, I've got four kids too. And I'll just be honest, that's not saying much. <laughs> if you've never taken, if you've got, if you've, ever, if you've never taken your kids to Disney, just know that I'm not, like if there were a way to like not, like I don't know that that counts as 
vacation. Like, <laughs> it is, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to get those kids uh, through Disney. I, I, uh, we took our teenagers down to, I was a youth pastor in Michigan for 15 years. And uh, as a youth pastor in Michigan, similar to the weather here, once spring rolls around, people are just like looking for any excuse to go south. So for spring break, we took our student leaders down to Florida every year for about 10 years. And so when my kids were finally old enough to take to Disney, I had already seen enough parent meltdowns at Disney, and I realized, okay, I have to have a strategy for getting through this day. So I had it mapped out, we had the fast passes, and I was just playing it cool all day, and my wife was like, how are you able to be cool so like all day today? I'm like, because she hadn't been with me on those Disney trips with our teenagers from our church. I said, I just have to have the mentality that I am at a park. I'm at a park, and I'm not gonna lose my temper, and I'm not gonna lose my cool, I'm just gonna be chill. And so that's how I survived that. But uh, it was funny when you said that, I'm like, D- I, don't, I don't know if that's fun. Like it's, <laughs> like making memories with your kids, it's fun. Like I like to have had memories. I don't always like making the memories. But you don't get, you don't get have without the make. So it's uh, just the way it is, and it's always rewarding to make memories with your kids. Uh, as I mentioned, I have four kids. I really wish my wife Jennifer could be here today. Uh, she and Michelle are really, really funny. Oh, we brought a picture. Thank you. Uh, she and Michelle are hysterical when they get together, uh, and we have a great time fellowshipping. We've got two teenage boys and two little girls in elementary school. So we've got... Um, Isaac, Simon, Liza, and Stella, and Jennifer and I have been married since uh, 1999. I almost changed our anniversary. So (laughs) I don't know why that almost, it almost came out as 2001 for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know where that came from. Um, So today, victory over sin. Victory over sin. I, I would give a title today and I would say this. You are called to something greater. And as believers, we know that we're called to something greater than our sin. And I would say this, in the church, we've done a good job of saying you can be forgiven of all your sin. Like, that's wonderful. And, and, and so many of you, I, I can imagine there's testimonies all over this room of how I was lost, but now I'm found. I was trapped in sin, and I didn't know a way out. And then Jesus came along. And, and, and so we know And if you're new here, if you're a guest, if you're visiting, if this is your first time, if you're watching online, you've never heard this message before, before this message is over, you'll have an opportunity to find that freedom. So track with me for just a few minutes. But as Christians, like victory over sin, for the forgiveness of sin, so that I can be saved, so that I can go to heaven, that's kind of the easy part. What I've observed is the hard part is that too many Christians allow their sin to keep them living in a place where they are doing something greater and they settle for a C-plus existence because they are constantly grading themselves on their own performance as a follower of Christ. Jesus did not call us to perfection, but he called us to obedience. We are being perfected but as Romans says, we will not be, when we see him, we will be like him. In the meantime, it is a gradual 
process. So for me, I want to have victory over sin. I know that I have victory. I know that I'm more a conqueror. I know that he's already won the battle. I know that grace is is inexpendable. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. But how many times have I given myself a C plus on my own personal holiness performance and not done what God's called me to because I didn't think I was holy enough, good enough, smart enough, pure enough, sinless enough? And so I want to talk to you about being called to something greater, because that to me is what the Christian life is really about. The forgiveness of sin qualifies us for something greater. We've already got the victory, but how do we walk in something greater? Let's take a look at scripture. I'm going to give you a text today. This is John chapter 21. Travis, I'm teaching from the same text that you uh, taught from yesterday to the students. Different message, though, so I started to just copy your message, but thought better come up with something new. Um, to understand John chapter 21, we kind of have to, this is the last chapter of the Gospels. Um, for those not familiar, the Gospels tell the story of Jesus here on earth. Uh, the disciples the 12 men that Jesus selected to be in his inner circle. They would serve when he would feed the 5,000. They would listen to his teaching and have the front row. They would arrange the seating when it was time to preach the Sermon on the Mount. When he was doing miracles and he was being crowded by people, it was the disciples who said, hey, let's keep things orderly. Let's make sure nobody gets hurt or trampled. It was the disciples who got to travel around with Jesus and live day to day with him during his years of public ministry. And so it's a pretty special that they get to, to, play, to, uh, to play in these gospel stories. And, and to understand John chapter 21, we kind of have to go back to the beginning of the gospels. Luke chapter five uh, tells it this way. A couple of the gospels tell of how Jesus called the disciples. If you're not familiar, most of the disciples prior to being full-time uh, vocational ministers, it's kind of where they find themselves by the end of the story. Prior to that, they had different professions. We have a tax collector in the group. We have a political zealot in the group. Um, you've got several that are fishermen. And in Luke chapter five, there's multiple uh, disciples called it kind of the same setting, Peter, Peter and James and John and Andrew, and they, they're fishermen, they're, they're professional fishermen. Uh, many Historians think that uh, Peter, who kind of gets to be in the spotlight a lot during these stories, was not just a professional fisherman, not just a commercial fisherman, but likely owned uh, a small fleet of ships that would go out on the Sea of Galilee. And I say ships uh, very loosely. These are like large, you know, wooden rowboats, more or less. Uh, they might qualify for a lifeboat on a, on, a, on a larger vessel. And so they would go out every night and fish, bring in the haul. They would sell it. This is how they earned their living. And uh, again, Peter is, is among them. We're going to talk about Peter a lot today. And he's kind of the boss. In Luke chapter 5, verse 11, there's, there's a simple sentence that I think a lot of us can relate to when we chose to follow Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verse 11, it says, when Jesus called them, they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything and followed him. They left everything to follow him. If you're a Christian, you have left the things of this world behind to follow him. You've, you've given away your rights to pursue what you want 
in favor of what God wants. So that's the moment for them. They leave the vocation of commercial fishermen behind to follow Jesus. They go on the adventure of a lifetime, though. And if you've never read the Gospels, I, I, highly, I highly recommend you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just to see the adventure that these young guys go on. Most, most theologians agree that most of the disciples would have been teenagers, very young men early in their careers. So these young men go on the adventure of a lifetime. They get to see blind eyes opened. Uh, Jesus is, is very famous for when he would teach, the religious uh, elders would all kind of turn their heads like this and go, oh my goodness, what is he saying? He's upsetting the apple cart. He's saying things that are offensive. He's hanging out with people who are sinners. He's visiting with people that we don't visit with. He's going places that I'm not sure Pastor, uh, Pastor Nate would approve of. Jesus is going, well, Nate, you would, but. Jesus is doing things that are revolutionary in their religion and in their faith at the time. So again, it's, it's, it's every young man's dream to just go and fight for something. And Jesus is showing them how to fight for something. They're fighting for souls. The gospel of, of Mark records the ending of this journey, and, and, and the ending turns out was just the beginning. But in the ending of the gospels, we know that Jesus was crucified, nailed to a cross, Convicted of, of, uh, of being the son of God. Unjustly executed under Roman law. And in that moment of terror, the gospel of Mark records that all of the disciples deserted him. All of them ran for their lives, fled. They thought it's over. Uh, what we, we thought Jesus was bringing a revolution. We thought he was bringing about change. He, he said he was building a new kingdom, but I guess he was, he was wrong. And if the story had ended there, he would have been wrong. But it didn't end there, did it? Three days later, we celebrated Easter recently. Three days later, Jesus comes back to life, and then the revolution begins. And then the revolution begins. So full context for today's passage, it takes place in this, in this time between resurrection, when Jesus comes back to life, and they go, oh my goodness, he has the power over life and death. We saw him bleed. We saw him die. We saw the Roman soldiers stab him in the side with their spear and blood and water came out. We heard, we saw his flesh being torn from his body by these whips that they were beating him with. We saw the pain and suffering. He died and now he's back. There is no question in their minds. This is supernatural. This is the Messiah. This is the son of God. So you would think, that they, at this point, they would be walking in something greater. But as it turns out, the disciples are only human. We find ourselves in John chapter 21. Again, this is the last chapter of the last gospel in the New Testament. And we, we're gonna construct some theories as we go. Because for some reason, after Jesus has done this miraculous work, has trained them for three years, He's trained them on how to be vocational ministers. He's trained them on how to do the ministry, how to be involved, how to serve the kingdom, how to serve the church. After all this, they go back to a normal life. And it's not God's plan for their life. John chapter 21, verses one through 17, it names, uh, in the first two, two verses, it names seven different disciples. They're, they're by the Sea of Galilee, in verse three, we'll pick up and read through uh, verse 17. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Here's a guy that has not been a professional fisherman in over three years. 
There's a story of him catching a fish where he gets the coin out of the fish's mouth. You can read about that. But aside from that, he has not earned a living as a fisherman in three years. He's, he's seen God provide through other avenues as he's fulfilled what his calling is. Now, there's anything wrong with being a commercial fisherman. It's, a, it's an honorable profession. I'm hoping to eat some lobster roll later today that's provided by the lobstermen of northern New England. <laughs> I'm excited about that. So it's an honorable, it's a great way to earn a living. It's a, it's a wonderful thing if that's where God has placed you. God's placed these men somewhere else that is, a, that is a greater calling, but they've chosen to do what they know. They've chosen to do average. I'm not saying that commercial fishermen is average and that ministry is greater. I'm saying that what God has called you to is greater than what you might settle for, than what you might settle for. So these guys are settling. The other disciples say, we'll come too. So they all set out. So they went out to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. I think it's interesting it says the boat. No doubt there were multiple boats that they would have access to along the Sea of Galilee, particularly if Peter had owned a, a fishing, a small fleet. Uh, they went back to the boat. They went back to the boat of familiarity. They went back to the boat from Luke chapter five that they left on the shore. We're not sure who's been taking care of it for the last three years, but either way, he's got access to the boat. He went back to the familiar. He went back to the place where they remembered how to, what, what to do, how to do it. It's easy, it's understood, maybe not easy, it's, in, it's easy in so much as they know what the, the cause and effect of their labors will be, and sometimes when you're serving God, he doesn't tell you in advance what the cause and effect will be. In fact, more times than not, he doesn't. He has you walk by faith and trust him, because that's how you grow your faith. Faith is not conjured. Faith is not a result of willpower. Faith is grown as we obey God. So they go back to the boat and caught nothing all night. Why did they catch nothing all night? These are professional fishermen. They know how to find the fish. They know where they are. I've never been on the Sea of Galilee, but I'm told that there's a, a kind of tilapia that is, it, it's caught best at night. And so fishermen there to this day will fish all night to bring in this catch. In fact, they've named this particular fish, uh, they've named it St. Simon's Fish is kind of how it would translate in the local dialect there uh, because of this story, no doubt. So they catch nothing. Why? Because there's no anointing on his labors. There's no anointing on his labors. It's a closed door when we try and go down a path that God doesn't have for us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us and he's trying to steer us in the right direction. We don't want to know why we still struggle with sin at times. We want to know why we fall into old patterns. Maybe it's because God has a new pattern for you to walk in. Uh, maybe the temptation comes not simply because you're bad, but maybe it comes because you're not where you're supposed to be. Victory over sin's already there if you're a Christian. It's already there. You're already forgiven. You, you, did you know that you're forgiven of sins from the past, but also when you ask Jesus into your heart to forgive all your sins, he forgives you of past, present, and future sin. Did you know you're for, as a Christian, you're forgiven of sin that you have not yet committed? How is that possible? It's called the miracle of salvation. Well, then why can't we go on sinning? Well, Paul addresses that in Romans. He says, he says does that mean we can just go on sinning and doing what we feel like? And he, he, he says it this way. Uh, the, the NIV translation says, by no means. Uh, the, the modern translation, I think it says, are you out of your mind? <laughs> By no means 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. It says we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For it's by the grace given me that I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. And what happens is, as Christians, we, we start to live free of sin, and then we get kind of proud about it. And then we start getting a little prideful about our own holiness. We start maybe judging people a little bit for their lack of holiness. Might be human nature, but it's not, it's not how it's supposed to work. So we find ourselves back in God's plan for our lives. And, and when you put yourself in the center of God's will, it's not that you're never tempted, it's just that when you're busying yourself with the call that God has on your life, it gives you a much easier path to resisting temptation, whether it's sin in your own life or judging others for that. Because ultimately we wanna say to others, hey, you're weak right now, I'll help you be strong. Not because of me, but because of what God's done in me. Let's read on. At dawn, so they're fishing, they catch nothing all night. Verse four. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. I don't know if he's teasing at this point. I don't know if they're like, who's the jerk on the seashore or the lake shore asking us if we've caught any fish? I mean, like it's bad enough that we've been out here all night. I mean, if I worked an entire eight hour, nine hour, 10 hour shift, I'd expect a paycheck at the end of that. These guys have just worked a whole shift and they know we're not getting paid. We wasted our whole night. I mean, how disappointing is that? I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a business situation or a business transaction where it just turned out super, super disappointing. That's where these guys are now. And now here's a stranger on the lakeshore asking if they caught any fish. Jesus responds when they say no in verse six, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. He knows this is a miracle. This is a miracle. And for those who you're facing financial situations where you're wondering if God's going to provide, I just want to point out what just happened in this passage of scripture. These guys work a full eight hour shift. They're getting nothing. But in an instant, they bring in one haul that is so large that they can't even get it in. It takes them a tremendous amount of labor. We know as we read on that they eventually do get in a, a, a serious amount of fish. In fact, it gives us a number if we read on. I'm, I, I'll have to look at it here in a moment, but I just wanna point out, if you honor God with your business, he can do more in an instant than you can do in a full day's labor. Some struggle to take time off on a Sabbath, on a, you know, some, some struggle to take a Sunday off, to be in fellowship with other believers, to hear some teaching from the word of God, to lift their hands and worship and worship together with other believers and, and, and to rest, even though God's word tells us one of the 10 commandments is that you would take a day, the Sabbath, to rest. Some struggle to do that because you think, if I do that, I'll never be able to make ends meet. And in this moment, Jesus is just illustrating I can do more in five minutes than you can do in eight hours. I can do more with your six days a week than you can do with seven days a week. Some struggle to, to give their tithe, the, the 10%, and I like the way you worded it, Pastor Nate. That's an area where you're walking in obedience to the Lord and following the Lord's plan. If you struggle to do that, you need to understand God can do more with your 90% than what you can do with your 100%. 
And it's not just a, a, a graduated scale of improvement that he can add. It is a supernatural scale of improvement that he can add to your finances, to your time, to your relationships. Let's read on. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. This is John talking. He wrote this. John says to, to Simon Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, he jumped in the water, and he headed to shore. He was so excited to see Jesus, he just jumped out of the boat. Jumped out of the boat. He realizes, man, and again, I'm, he's exhausted at this point. They've been working all night. I said eight hours, but it's probably more than eight hours. Working all night, he's tired, he's ready to be done, and Jesus says, hey, I got this. Throw your nets on the other side. The other stayed in the boat and pulled in the load of the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Isn't that just like Jesus? We're, we're off doing our own thing, achieving C-plus work at best. In fact, they weren't even getting C-plus that night. They were getting an F. Like, we're off working hard, doing our own thing, but then when we finally come back to Jesus, he's going, hey, I got this meal ready for you, because that's what they're working for, their, their, daily, their daily bread, so to speak. She's going, hey, I got this. You're off being a disobedient. I still love you. I made breakfast. Come have a seat. In fact, bring some of the fish that you've just caught, he says in verse 10. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore. There were 153 large fish. That's a lot of fish. And yet the net hadn't torn. Jesus says, now come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples asked him, who are you? For they all knew. And again, this is Jesus in his resurrected, uh, his resurrected body. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon's name at the beginning of this story, or Peter's name, was Simon. Jesus changed it to Peter. But in this moment, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. He's, he's telling him, I, I need you to shepherd people. I need you to be a pastor. I need you to be a bishop. You're gonna oversee other pastors. In fact, the Catholics to this day refer to Peter as the first pope. I have this large spiritual revolution coming that I want you to lead, and I need you to be obedient. And for goodness sake, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. He asks him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The Bible says that Peter was hurt, that Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, if a guy like Peter is hurt and John is the one writing this down, that means John sitting around the fire that morning eating breakfast, not only can hear this conversation, he can see the look on Peter's face and he knows Peter. They've worked together probably since childhood growing up on the Sea of Galilee. This is his friend, probably his boss or manager at best. Oh my goodness, why... Sitting next to Andrew. Andrew, did you just hear Jesus is asking, asking Peter if he loves him? He's calling him Simon. Just asked, he asked him again. <gasps> Peter looks hurt. And those of you, if you know Peter from the New Testament, on the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter's carrying a sword. He's ready to fight. <laughs> He's a very brash character. He tends to be more of an extrovert, a little aggressive. I mean, this is a commercial fisher. This is not a weakling. He's probably a strong guy. This big, 
tough, seasoned fisherman is hurt. And his friends can see it. Likely he's crying at this point. Lord, you know everything. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep is what God is saying to us through this passage. We have a responsibility that God is calling us to. Whether you're a commercial fisherman or you're a manager or you're an hourly worker, whether you're, you do something creative with your skill set that God's given you, you might be a teacher, you might be a college graduate, you might be a high school dropout. Whatever it is that you do with your day-to-day, God is calling you in addition to feed his sheep to be concerned for the needs of others. And we do this through our giving. We do this through our actions. We do this through our words. We do this with how we delegate, or excuse me, how we relegate our time. So four themes from this passage of scripture. I'll give these to you. I'll make some comments along the way, and then I'll close. Four themes for us to ponder, for us to get in our heart. The first one, I've already said it. It's responsibility. It's responsibility. Verses 15 through 17, Peter was being asked to feed my sheep. And as I just said, we are being asked what we can do for the kingdom, what we can do for the kingdom. You see, sometimes when when God calls us, we get really excited and, and, and we start serving, but then we fail. It gets hard. Or our own our own personal shortcomings, whether it's a daily struggle with sin, whether it's Sometimes just laziness, whether it's prioritizing something else other than God's work that he has for us. But let me say this, though you fail, you have to keep coming back for more. Uh, I've been a youth pastor for a very long time. And um, young, young youth workers will say, hey, I want to be a youth pastor. What, what advice do you have for me? And I say, you got to keep coming back for more. You just got to keep coming back for more. It, it's not going to go perfect your first at bat. It might. That, doesn't, that wasn't my experience, though. I quit many times. Usually on a, on a Thursday morning after a youth service, it was just a little too much for me. <laughs> Talk to lead pastors. Sometimes the hardest day of the week is Monday because they're recovering from, from all the hard work and going, God, I just, I just want to serve you, but the vision that you gave me isn't fulfilled yet. And God's up there going, hey, the vision that I gave you, it's not fulfilled yet. Yeah, 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 we're saying the same thing. I know, I feel like quitting. And he's going, yep, and I need you to come back for more because the vision is not fulfilled yet. So if you've failed, if you've struggled, if you feel like, man, I've tried to serve God, but it's just too hard, you gotta keep coming back for more. Well, he gave me a vision of what my life was going to be like, and it just hasn't lined up that way. That's why you have to keep coming back for more. My kids, they don't serve the way I was hoping they would serve. They're not, they're not, uh, they're not turning out like the, the parenting book that I read said that they would turn out. Keep coming back for more. Uh, personal examples. <laughs> <laughs> Growing Kids God's Way, James Dobson. All wonderful, all awesome. But what do you do when you have a strong-willed child? (laughs) Responsibility. You've got a responsibility to keep coming back for more. Let's cross-reference just a little bit. I'll throw out some scriptures. You can jot these down. I I can't remember if they're on the screens or not. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hey, that's great. Verse 14. But how can they call on him to save him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? That's not just for pastors, ladies and gentlemen. That's for every member of the body of Christ. We have to tell people. We have a responsibility to tell people about Jesus. And you are uniquely gifted. 
to do it in a very specific way, through personal relationship, through caring for people in your community. Some do have a gift of evangelism where they can walk up to a stranger on the street and say, hey, you don't know me, but I just had to ask you this question. If you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? I don't personally have that gift. I've tried it, it's very awkward. I've never seen it work. (laughs) But listen, I've heard others do it. I've watched Ray Comfort videos, he does it. He's got a specific gift. So you you gotta keep coming back for more to discover what your specific gift is. It might be preaching, it might be teaching, or it might just be buying a cup of coffee for somebody and saying, hey, I I, I go to Restoration Church and I just, I don't know, I saw you here and you look like you just needed to pick me up today. God bless you, here's here's an invitation, no pressure. And then they're like, wait, come back. Okay, what, (laughs) right? Right, like and everything in between. It might mean mowing your neighbor's yard while they're on vacation. You're like, hey, I just didn't want you to have to do any work when you got back. Like just little things that come to your mind. It's a wonderful way to communicate the love of Jesus in a very natural way. Because one thing that Jesus was an expert at was communicating the supernatural in a natural way. Matthew chapter 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call that one the Great Commission, Psalm 96, three. This is a great one for the current generation that we're living in right now. They're calling Generation Z, like these kids that are coming up, they're calling them publishers. Why? Because they publish on TikTok, they publish on Instagram, they publish now on their video games. People will pay to watch other kids play video games on their own TV. They're publishing that content, they're publishing on YouTube. You talk to uh, the number one Christmas gift that nine-year-olds wanted this past Christmas was their own YouTube channel so they could publish their own content. Listen to what Psalm 96.3 says. This is the New Living Translation. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no name under heaven by which we must be saved. We have a responsibility to take this message, not just if your first name is pastor, Not just if you have that little reverend in front of your name. We as believers, as people who have said we put our faith in Christ, have a responsibility. Worship team, you can come and we'll close in just a moment. Can I just ask an awkward question real quick? Is the countdown clock, does that mean, is that what that is? Okay. Are we done being awkward? Okay, good. We'll move forward. All right. Potential. We have potential. We have a responsibility. We have a potential. The potential in this passage of scripture was for the miraculous, not just a hard night's work, but the potential was for the miraculous. Jesus does a miracle in an instant. That is our potential is for the miraculous. And we need to embrace the miraculous. Did you know that in 2020, and this is where my job as national youth director gets really fun. In 2020, during COVID, teenagers Giving to Speed the Light missions gave $10.2 million during a pandemic to spread the gospel around the planet. Now, just to put that in perspective, in 2017, three years earlier, they gave $9.8 million. Giving went up during the pandemic because teenagers in the Assemblies of God said yes, and not just embracing their responsibility, but we're walking in a supernatural potential. And any of you who have ever, if you've ever participated in faith giving, you know, well, what is faith giving? Faith giving is when you say, I feel like God's telling me to give it a dollar amount, but I can't afford it. Faith giving is when you say, okay, God, 
I'm gonna be obedient to that dollar amount. Because the Bible says not to give under compulsion, but to give what the Holy Spirit puts on your heart to give. So with like Kingdom Builders, for instance, the Lord's told me to give, and, and I'll just use the number $1,000. You might look at your bank account and say, I don't know where $1,000 is gonna come from. You know what, let's pray. Let's pray. That's all God's asking. Let me help you live up to your potential. But I can't do that. That you're missing the point. Or actually, you're making the point. You can't do it. But he can. That's how we live in our potential. Let me talk about identity. I'm gonna talk about identity and dream, and then we're gonna close. Did you catch what I said about Simon being renamed Peter? When you became a Christian, God gave you a new identity. When Simon started following Jesus, he got a new identity and a new name. Jesus said to him, Simon, I'm gonna call you Peter. And, and elsewhere he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. You see the name Peter actually means rock. That's what it translates to, to rock. Jesus is saying, you're my rock. But did you catch what he's saying to him after a night of fishing at the end of the story? Saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. And again, the Bible says that he was hurt. You know everything. Why was he hurt? One, his master is saying, do you love me? I've given my life to you, Jesus. How could you ask if I love you? Simon, son of John, do you love me a third time? And Lord, why are you calling me Simon, son of John? I'm Peter. You gave me the new name. You said I was going to be a rock. You said you were going to build your church on the rock. You said I was going to be a leader. You said I was going to be a pastor. You said I was going to bring other people to you. Why are you calling me Simon now? And the best answer I can come up with, and I'm not the master level theologian that some people are, the best answer I can come up with, and you've already thought of it as I've said this story, is that he wasn't being Peter that night. He was being Simon. And so you have to ask yourself, Am I being who God's called me to be, created me to be, or am I settling for an average, back-to-work, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christian? You wanna have victory over sin? You wanna have victory over sin? Find yourself in the center of God's will, busying yourself with the things of God, and Satan won't be able to touch you. Jesus says it. there is no temptation that has seized you except that which is common to man. And you know when you run into common man problems? When you're not living in the supernatural man world. And your supernatural world might be serving here at Restoration Church. It might be serving in restoration recovery. It, it might be witnessing, sharing God's word with people that don't know it. You want to know about victory over sin? It's just that simple. Now, I did make a promise. So I said I'd close this way. In fact, would you just stand with me and we'll close just like this. I'm going to pray over you and I'm going to hand it back to Pastor Nate. But I have to ask the question uh, for those who either you're online, you can put this in the comments. Uh, you're, you're here in this room. You're in one of the locations. I, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes right now. If you're online, don't close your eyes. <laughs> I'm asking you to close your eyes right now and I'll just ask this question. Are there any in this room that you say, Josh, I, I need to make things right with God? Uh, I, all things being equal, I am not living a Christian life at all, let alone in the center of God's will. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high? I'm gonna pray over you. I've asked people to close their eyes to give you a little bit of privacy. Yeah, who else? 
If you're watching online, you can leave it in the comments. Yep, I see hands slipping up. Nobody looking around. This is just for me and them, trying to keep this private. Hands slipping up. Yep, yep. You can put those down. Listen, growing up in church, during this moment of the service, our pastor would say something like, well, now we're going to pray a sinner's prayer. And it's a prayer that, that we as sinners pray to ask for forgiveness. But I don't like calling it a sinner's prayer because I feel like that's not the language Jesus would use. I, I feel like calling it a miracle prayer. Can we pray that miracle prayer together? And I see heads nodding all over this room. We know what, we know what we're about to do. If, if you don't, it's just a prayer that you can repeat after me, but you just make it your own. And it's real simple. So just repeat after me, just real simple. Repeat after me, say, dear Jesus, I believe you died on a cross. Come on, the whole room, let's say it together just to, just to give uh, some anonymity to those who, because uh, Pastor Nate will give you some direction on how to make it personal in just a moment, but I just want to make it easy for those. I believe you died on a cross, Lord, to forgive my sins, and I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future, and ask you to give me a new life. I know that I'm called to something greater. And I ask you, Lord, to show me what it is, and I'll be obedient. Thank you, Jesus. And I'll see you soon, but not too soon. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Pastor Nate.